You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc. Well, today we're in part three of our December or Christmas series, if you will, called The Word With Us. The Word With Us. And uh, this series over the last few weeks has uh, kind of dove into John chapter 1. And if you're familiar with John chapter 1 or you remember week 1, how did it start? Scripture says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, three times in that first verse, John's like, the Word, the Word, the Word. And so we uh, have come around to just make, it, make sure that we're all on the same page to understand the Word, capital W there, um, it's not Scripture, the Word, it's not a spoken Word, but the Word, proper noun, is a person. And Jesus is the Word. The Word is Jesus, and Jesus is the Word. And here here is the series in a nutshell, the greatest news of Christmas. Christmas is the earthly, or the celebration of the earthly arrival of the Word, that Jesus came to be with us. And I mean, we could pack it up and just go home right there, okay? That's all we need to know that God loved so much that He earthly delivered his son the word to be with us. And that is the good news of Christmas. Now, you may have some good news coming. I don't know. Maybe you get a Christmas bonus. Hope so. That'd be awesome. Okay. Maybe you're going to get a new puppy for Christmas. I don't know if that's awesome or not. Okay. Depends on the day. Um, Maybe you're going to see friends or family for Christmas that you haven't seen in a long time. All of those really, really great things. Okay. But I'm just telling you today that I can say with all confidence that you will not hear or receive or sit under greater news than the word came to be with us. That changed everything, and it breathes hope to us today. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper today. So if you have a copy of Scripture, um, open up to New Testament. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be, John chapter 1. And uh, man, I'd love for you to have your copy of God's Word open, whether that's a hard copy Bible or maybe you've got the Bible app. Highly encourage you um, to dive into that. It's a great resource to use, not just like for these 30 minutes, um, but for all throughout your week so that you can engage with God's Word. But um, I'll be reading from the NIV translation uh, if you want to follow along there. And uh, we also put verses on the screen from where you're gathering uh, with us. Now, John chapter 1, as you turn there, so far in this series, just to kind of set us up, we have covered 13 verses. Okay, those are the first two weeks. We broke that in half. And today we're going to add one verse um, to that list. That's right. Today I'm just preaching from one verse. That's it, just one verse. And so I'm going to go two hours on one verse of Scripture. I'm not sure why you're laughing, okay? Um, But two hours, one verse, it's going to be unbelievable. Um, Some of you are like, is he kidding? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. We'll see. Um, But man, one verse of Scripture, but in this verse, so much power packed into that. Here's how we're going to kind of do this today, okay? Just to kind of give you a heads up for what's coming. Uh, I'm going to try to teach a little bit at first, okay? So we're going to look at this one verse and talk about some things that maybe you didn't know or some reminders for you, some insights. And then at the end of that, okay, buckle up, hang on, because there's going to be some just amazing, um, then eternal hopeful promises that we're going to pull out of this verse that really matter to all of our lives. It doesn't matter where you are in life. They're going to resonate with you. And so it's going to kind of be, as I was thinking about it this week, it's going to kind of be like, uh, you remember when you used to have to uh, eat through the cereal box and there was a prize at the bottom of the cereal box? Anybody, anybody remember that, right? You got to go through the Special K, through the Cheerios, the Frosted Flakes, whatever mama brought home just to get that prize at the bottom, okay? So I'm just saying today, we're going to wade through the teaching to get to the prize at the bottom. And I know who some of you were. Some of you, you dumped the cereal in another bowl. Uh-huh. I know you'd identify yourself. You're all the gigglers right now, okay? And you dumped the cereal out, or some of you just went arms straight through, okay? 
and everybody ate some of your DNA, okay, because you wanted that prize so much, right? So today we're going to go teaching a little bit. Hang in there because I think the teaching is going to really make the, the prize or the promises at the end of it just so much richer, okay? So let's go together our one verse, John chapter 1. We're going to add on verse 14 to what we've been reading. Here's what Scripture says. It says, the Word, capital W, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John starts verse 14 with just this really mind-blowing phrase. If you slow down enough and really think on it, mind-blowing phrase, the Word, meaning Jesus, became flesh. That God is an infinite being, took on the form of a finite being. The God of creation became like one of the created. Uh, the same God who literally breathed life into existence came to those who depended on him for life. Or a holy, sovereign God over all things, okay, stepped into human flesh to be with us. And I love how Paul says it um, later in the New Testament. He says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. Look at it on the screen. It says, rather he, Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. You see those powerful words that Paul uses? He says, the God who created everything made himself nothing. By taking on what? By taking on human form. And, and I don't know about you, but like so many of us are, we're drawn to celebrities or people of status or high class who are not so high up there um, that they can't just be among us common folk, right? I mean, we, we think lots of them. Normally there's positive things said about people of higher class, higher status who could just come be with us, okay? And in this moment, here's what John's saying, that the God of all creation, of all sovereignty, who was and is and has been and always will be, stepped into the brokenness of sinful humanity to be what? To be with us. He said there's, there's never been a status humbling act, if you will, greater than the God word became flesh to be among us. And notice John says um, the word became. It doesn't say um, the word was made, but the word became. Jesus was not created, but Jesus has always existed as creator. Remember week one, as we walked through verses one through five, we said that Jesus was God's agent in creation, that he was there to create all things. The word became, um, in the original language, usually implied like a complete changing of something or someone. But that's not true in Jesus' um, case. Jesus was fully God, who came flesh, fully God, also fully man. The Word became, and then John says, the Word became flesh. Now, if you read Scripture enough, there's kind of two different references or meanings to the word flesh. First, there is a literal meaning to flesh, like, like this flesh, like the skin that covers our bones and organs. But then there's a second one. It's not used quite as much. And it, it's a meaning or it refers to sinful humanity, okay? All of us coming from Adam, born into sin, still apart from Jesus. In fact, uh, let me quote to you just a part of Romans chapter 7, verse 5. Paul says, when we were in the realm of the flesh, okay, 
or the realm of sinful human nature. When we are apart from God, Paul says, here's what happened. Our sinful passions controlled us. Okay, we've all been there or are there. Now, in verse 14 that we're reading of John 1, John says, God the Son assumed the skin of sinful humanity, but he did not assume the sinful nature of humanity. Are you with me? He was fully God in flesh, but he was not fully God in the flesh of sinful humanity. He was still fully God in holiness. And then the next part of verse 14, the word became flesh. And then he adds on, he says, and did what? And made his dwelling among us. That's how the NIV uh, speaks that. And perhaps my, like, I love it. My favorite translation of this verse comes from the message translation. And uh, here's how it says. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Come on, that's good, isn't it? Come on, that'll preach right there, right? Honey, who moved in next door? I don't know. I think it's God. I think God moved in next door. No, there's no way. No, I'm just telling you, the U-Haul says heavenly hauling, okay? And there's angels carrying the boxes in. The infinite God next door. That the word became flesh, and he did what? And he came to us, that he came to dwell among us until we could say that God was big enough to be God, but he was personal enough to come and be with us. Or we could say to be with you. And it gets even better. Let's kind of dig into this phrase a little bit more. Um, if you're very familiar with the Old Testament, you remember the moment where um, in Exodus 33, Moses meets with God and he meets with them, him in a what? In a tent. Remember that tent of meeting? Um, and in that tent, that like the presence of God was there. And only Moses could go in, if you remember that. Moses would go in, he'd meet with face to face with God. And outside of the tent or what? That's where the people waited and they worshiped. They're like, is he going to come out? What's he going to say? when he comes out and God was there in that tent of meeting. Rewind back to where we are today. John in chapter 1 is connecting Jesus coming to humanity, word with us, with God's coming to Israel to the tabernacle tent. And here's, here's what's so cool about this. The Greek word for John's word, dwell, literally meant lived in a tent. In other words, just like God met with Moses in the tent, Jesus came and pitched his tent among humanity. In fact, one commentator said we could say that Jesus came and tabernacled with us, that he came to be with us. Now, bonus points, read this this week, and I was like, "Woo, too mind-blowing not to share. The tent where Moses met with God, God instructed Moses on how to make that tent. You can go back in the Old Testament, read it. God told Moses this. He says, hey, on the outside of the tent, I want you to cover it with the skins of dead animals. Inside of the tent, I want you to cover it with the strands of material made up of three different colors, blue, red, and purple. And here's the bonus points. Those just so happen to be, if you think about it enough, the interior colors in some ways of the anatomy of the human body, right? Oxygenated blood vessels are red and deoxygenated blood vessels are blue or sometimes may even appear purple and they just so happen to be covered by skin. Don't tell me God's not into the details of your life. That the word, the God, came and took on flesh and he dwelled and pitched his tent in your yard. And he came to be with us. 
Now look back at John 1.14. Let's kind of pick up and, and add on a phrase that I want us to continue to walk through. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son. Now, what does John say? He says, we've seen his glory. What, it, what in the world does that mean, right? You've done church long enough, we love to use that word, right? Glory, okay? We just say it. Um, like, what does that really mean, though? Like, is it, I just know we say it at church, and it like, kind of makes everybody excited. What is John saying? He says, we've seen his glory. Here's what John's saying. He's alluding back to the Old Testament, okay? Ark of the Covenant, tent of meeting, like the presence of God was there, but common folk couldn't get to the temple, right? They couldn't fully get near the presence of God. And so here's what John is saying. John's saying, but now, word with us, he says, now we have been eyewitnesses to the glory of God. How? Through the person of Jesus. That God has demonstrated. He's just like showed us his glory. He's pulled back the curtain and he showed us his glory in human flesh through Jesus. And the disciples and those there took in eyewitness accounts of God's glory through what? Through Jesus' life and his miracles and his ministry and his death and the resurrection. And John's like, we're sitting front row. It's not a fable. It's not a good Bible story. We're hearing down at the tabernacle, but like he's here and the word is with us. And then it goes on to say, uh, we've seen the glory of God with our own eyes through what? Through the one and only Son. Or maybe your translation, some translations say, through the only begotten Son. Now, we don't use the word begotten a whole lot unless we're going John 3.16 KJV, okay? Then we don't, we don't really know what it means. We just know we got to say begotten right there before we get to the Son. Here's what begotten is saying. It's saying only of its kind, only version that exists. And John is saying there is only one perfect expression of God and his nature and his qualities, and it was the person of Jesus. And just like as we even can look around today and see a, father, or a son who represents the characteristics of his father, John's saying, no, Jesus was the perfect, like he was the exact representation of the goodness and the glory of God. And go a little later, New Testament, look at this on the screen. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 uh, of 1 John, not just John, says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have what? Here he goes, seen with our eyes, like we've looked at him and our hands have touched. This we proclaim, we're telling you about concerning who? There he is, the word of life. Verse two, the life appeared. He appeared, we've seen it, we're testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was what? Was with the Father. The word was with God, but now has appeared to us. Man, good news. Now, there's one final phrase that I want to kind of teach and talk through, and then we'll dive into those promises, and it's really how John uh, 1.14 ends. So just kind of look back. We'll pick up halfway through. Here's what it says. It says, We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, the exact representation who came from the Father. Here it is, full of grace and truth. I mean, there's really just so much piled into that. We could like preach a whole message on it. It's going to come back next week as we celebrate Christmas Eve together, that phrase of full of grace and truth. And here's what John's saying. He says, Jesus revealed the character of God by doing this, by bringing and living a life full of grace and truth. Or we could understand it this way. As Jesus demonstrated and revealed the glory of God, okay, he was the glory of God right there, eyewitnesses to that, 
He lived a life, and his life, the prevailing characteristics and principles that came out was that of grace and truth. Truth and grace. Grace and truth. Now, now what, is, what do those really mean? Well, we know them as churchy phrases, but really here as you dig down into it, grace is speaking to the graciousness or goodness of God. Um, truth speaks to integrity or the truthfulness or the trustworthiness of God. And so John's saying that Jesus, the word coming to us in flesh, was this. It was the greatest possible expression of God's grace to humanity. Greatest thing that God could think of in grace. But at the same time, don't miss this, it was the best way to communicate truth accurately to human understanding. He was grace and he was truth. Um, one commentator that I read this week said it this way, um, this reality that God is grace and truth should do this. It should hold our minds and it should direct our lives. It should steady all those chaotic thoughts that are up here. He is grace and he is truth. And it should direct our lives. What, what am I going to do? What is my purpose in this moment? Grace and truth. And, and so today we realize that God is not one without the other. And he's not other without the one. That he is grace and he is truth. And you cannot have truth without grace. And you can't have grace without truth. Why? Because here's the deal. Truth without grace creates legalism. And none of us like that. But you know what? Grace without truth creates apathy and rebellion. And God became this perfect balance. And he showed it to us through Jesus. His grace and truth, truth and grace. You can't have one without the other. And now he looks at us today, if you're a follower of Jesus as the church of Christ, and he says, may you be people of grace and truth in the world. The world's not going to understand it. They're going to really struggle with that a lot of times. But truth and grace, grace and truth. And the word became flesh and demonstrated that to us. Now let's go back and let's put all of this together, okay? Now that we are so much more knowledgeable, I can just see it oozing out of you, okay? John 1.14, let's read it one more time. The Word, Jesus, became flesh. Not made, but He became. He was with us, flesh. Not sinful, but He was in the skin, and He made His dwelling among us. He was next door. He pitched His tent in the backyard. He came into the living room, and we've seen it. Like, we, we are firsthand witnesses. Not a fable. It's real. And He revealed the glory of the one and only Father through the one and only Son, and He came from the Father, and He was seasoned in this perfect way of grace and truth, truth and grace. Now, what in the world does that mean for your Christmas, though? I mean, in the midst of all you're living in, like great Bible story, good verse there, what does that mean for you and me? I think today as we look at some of those truths that we were teaching through, as I was looking at this week, man, I think there, there are at least three. Okay, I'm going to just give you three. Man, just, I think, amazing eternal promises out of that where John was not just stating a moment in history but he was speaking to you and me. And he was saying that in the manger in Bethlehem, that baby did not just give us a reason to buy presents for one another and take some time off of work and school so the family could get together. But it says, no, lying in that manger was God of universe speaking and pushing promises to you and me today. To say the word is with you. 
and the words among you, and that can change everything about the way that you live. And so today, I want to just kind of resonate together and look at three promises. Man, I encourage you just to write them down. Maybe they don't mean a lot to you today, but maybe somewhere over the next week or two as you celebrate or sit or reflect, man, they would just be promises that you could stand on. The first promise is, is just this. There is no mess too big for God to step into. There is no mess too big for our God to step into. The reality is today, and I know we, got our all, we all got our pretty on today if you're in the building and the smile and everything's fine and we're good and we're going to be okay, but the reality is life is messy. And life can get really messy and, and a lot of times the mess of our life is made because if we're really honest, it's made because of some of the failures and mistakes that we've made. And it gets really messy, and I don't know like, what that looks like for you, but it can you know, come from immature choices in our life or that season of rebellion where we thought we had it all figured out, or maybe it's just this ongoing reaction to this deep bitterness that you've got. It could be a number of things that just push us towards a mess. And, and if we're real today, okay, man, we try to pride ourselves in being a church that's real. Um, we've all made a mess of our lives at some point. For some of us, it was years ago. We're like, that was a really messy portion of my life. For some of you, it was like, like last month or last week. And we've, we've all made a mess at some point. And sometimes um, we, we make the mess, if you will, and sometimes life just kind of hands us the mess. And uh, we're left to deal with it. And Scripture tells us today, here's where we're headed. Scripture tells us today that the Word became what? Became flesh, that God as a holy God through Jesus, did what? Stepped into the mess of humanity to what? To demonstrate his glory and to demonstrate his love. Uh, random fact kind of about me as a child, I hated finger painting. All right, anybody resonate with me in that? Like, I would not put this beautiful God-created hand, okay, in that pan of like whatever color paint the teacher was laying out. Um, and it was just known, like my parents knew, he's not going to finger paint, okay? So they told the teachers, teachers knew I wasn't going to finger paint preschool, and so they, they created alternative routes for me to finger paint, okay? Um, they got really creative, like they would take a sponge and they would cut it out in the shape of my hand so that I could just dip the sponge in there and make sure I didn't get it on me, like, Brian, why is your hand so big and round? I don't know, okay? Or, or we do the whole, um, anybody remember the whole straw painting, right, where like you, you blow through the straw and it kind of just puts the, the paint all over the paper? Some of you look at me like, you never been to Bible school? Come on, like you make sure you blow out, not in, okay? And so that, like, that's how I did finger painting because I would refuse at the bottom of it was just I didn't want to stick my hand into the mess. Now, why did I tell you that just ridiculous silliness is because in a so much grander way, a sovereign and holy God just looked down to the humanity that he created and he saw the mess. And he saw the mess that you and I had created of sin and selfishness and pride and rebellion, and, and he didn't look for an alternative way. And he didn't send somebody else to clean it up, but he knew that the only way that it could be fixed, that it could be redeemed and reconciled was for him to step into the mess. And the hope of Christmas from the cradle to the cross is that God stepped in. The word became flesh and stepped into the mess. And I'm just saying if that's true today, then there is no mess of your life that's too big or too messy for our God to step into. Jesus is human enough. He was human enough to identify with your weakness, but yet God enough to help you overcome them. And I don't know, you know what that looks like or means for your life, whether it's a mess that you've made and you're still like, you know, trying to kick your way out of, 
Or maybe it's something, a decision that somebody else made that you didn't plan for, that you didn't see coming, and it just kind of got handed to you, and you're doing your best to wade through it. But there's, no, I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing today that's too messy or too big for him to work in and reconcile and redeem. And I don't know if it's the, you know, the addiction, the rebellion, the divorce, the family brokenness, whatever it is. Like, it's not too big or too messy for our God to work in. In fact, I love what Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, part of our foundational passage, says that God made him who Jesus, God sent the word in flesh, who had no sin. There was no stain, no blemish on him to be what? To be sin for us. And he took on the weight of your sin and mine and your brokenness and mine. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God sees the mess of your life, he sees the mess of my life, and he raises us Jesus. And he said, he's just sovereign enough and holy enough and redemptive enough in my work through him that I can work in the mess. And the promise today that, man, just really resonates for all of us when we think about where we've been is that there's no mess of our life that's too big for God um, to step into. Let me give you a second promise today, I think, out of John 1.14. Uh, there's no moment that you have to be alone. There is, there's no moment that you have to be alone. Perhaps one of the most difficult things about the Christmas season um, is loneliness, right? Um, loneliness is not easy any time of the year, but it's really not easy in the holiday season. And uh, as some of you are really honest below the surface today, you hadn't really been super fired up or looking forward to the holidays because you knew what that meant, right? You knew that it meant you were going to be alone again, or maybe alone for the first time. And um, that's hard to deal with, right? But the truth is that you don't, you don't have to be physically alone to be alone. You can be alone in the middle of a marriage. And you can be alone in the middle of a family. Or you can be alone at a workplace with a whole lot of other people around. You don't have to be physically alone to, to feel that loneliness. But you know what? God created us to be with, to be known, and to be seen. And so none of us want to feel that feeling of being alone. And so God today, through his good and living and active word, man, he breathes that promise to you. He says the word became flesh. Why? So that you don't have to be alone. The word took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood or your living room so that you would know, man, you don't have to be alone in this. And here's the great news. Like God comes close to you through Jesus and he's not hard to find. Remember, some of us, we want to make him so distant, so unsearchable. But look at this promise from the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, 13. God says to his people then, and I believe he says it to you and me today. He says, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Verse 14, he says, I will be found by you. I'm not a far off God declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I think we could say today that some of you are living in the captivity of loneliness. I mean, some of you are buying the lie or listening to the enemy that, like, God's far off, and he's lost sight of your story, and he's not with you, and everybody else has a better favor from him. But he's saying today, no, he came to be with you, that the word became flesh so that you would know you're not alone. 
You're not alone in this. And the great pastor Charles Spurgeon um, wrote this quote, and I read it this week, and I was like, man, that's so good to come around. It says, if God has come to dwell among men by the word made flesh, John 1, then here's our response. Let us pitch our tents, our lives around this central tabernacle, around Jesus. Why? Do not let us live as if God were a long way off. He is near. He can be known by you. And what did Isaiah say that God gave him the name what? Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Or maybe today you need to breathe in that in a personal way. God with you. Today God says you are not. You don't have to be alone. Now you notice what it says. It says take the posture of your heart and direct it towards Jesus. It says know him through word, through scripture, through community, through worship. And you will find that you've never been alone. The word in flesh today means there's no mess of your life that's too big for God to step into. But it also means that truth that you are never alone. Not this season, not any season. He's a near to us God. Now there's one final promise from this truth of John 1.14. Um, and, and maybe it's my favorite of all of them. And I want you to write this down. It says there is no time you can't trust God's goodness. There is no time you can't trust God's goodness. And I worded it that way on purpose because I want to kind of break that down for a second and then connect it with your life and mine. And that's where we'll land the plane today. Um, John said, Jesus came from the Father full of what? Full of grace and of truth. That final phrase of verse 14, full of grace and of truth. Now earlier I told you that that word grace means what? Means the goodness of God. And that word truth means what? That he is trustworthy. And so just stay with me. We're just put one and one together. If that is true, then we understand that God is trustworthy in his goodness. Okay, he is trustworthy. He's full of truth. In his goodness, he's full of grace. So I'm saying today that there, there's no time then, now, or to come where you cannot trust God's goodness in your life. Now, just as quickly as I say that, I realize that maybe there's somebody thinking, like, that's awesome. Way to get fired up over that. But not my world. You... You don't, you don't know my story. I know it's supposed to be the greatest time of the year, but I'm just saying that's not my world. I, I mean, I know what they say at church, right? God is good all the time, and all the time? Yeah. And that's what we say, but sometimes that's not what Tuesday feels like. And that's not what the broken relationship feels like or the loneliness or the health report or the whatever that thing is. And it's like, like, I know what we're saying, but I'm just saying I don't see that. I can't proclaim his goodness when I'm walking in this. I just want to say in a very authentic and real way today, like, man, I, I hear you in that. And I'd love for just one moment, man, just to point you to one moment in history, maybe a couple of verses to help maybe you see something that maybe you've never seen before. Okay, because you see, leading into the New Testament, um, leading into John chapter 1, even if you will, God's people had been waiting right? That's Advent. They'd been waiting. Not, not like waiting at the red light, like the long one outside of your neighborhood. Not, not that kind of waiting. Not like waiting on the Amazon Prime package that said it was coming Wednesday and it's Friday and you're stressing because the party's almost here, right? Not that waiting. No, we're talking about like waiting, waiting, 
waiting hundreds of years, in fact. What? Because God said that he was sending a savior. He was sending a rescuer. He's sending a deliverer. And they're just waiting and nothing's happening. And it seems to be getting worse. And they waited and waited until, take this in, they waited so long that some of them begin to doubt and even question, watch this, if God was honest and if he was good. Is he really trustworthy in his goodness? And maybe like you today, in whatever season you're in, they begin to question, can God really be trusted? Is he really good? And then I want you to see what God did, how God responded. Look with me a little later in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. You can see it on the screen. Here's what Paul writes. He says, So also, when we were under age, when we were in slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. In other words, when you and I were apart from Christ, when there was no hope and it was darkness, verse 4, phrase of the chapter, but when the set time had fully come. God did what? God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that's you and me, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And every time I read that, I can't get past that phrase. It says, when the set time had fully come, when it was the appointed divine sovereign moment that God had planned, what did he do? God sent his Son. Now stay with me. Scripture says just when humanity wanted to believe that he's probably not good, he's maybe not coming through, I don't know that he can be trusted. We trusted for years, but he's still not delivered in the set time in that moment God responded. And Scripture says, and he sent his son, what, born of a virgin as a baby in a manger in a town called Bethlehem that he called because the word took on flesh and came to be among you and me. And in the silence that had been waiting for hundreds of years, God answered with a word. And that word was Jesus. And in that moment, he said, I am good and I can be trusted. And you see today, if you truly celebrate Christmas, what are you celebrating? You are celebrating that he is trustworthy in his goodness. That he can be trusted and he is good. You see, the word took on flesh and made his dwelling. What does that mean for you and me today? That means that there's no mess. No mess too big for him to step into. And that, that means there's no season, not this season, not the next season, not tomorrow, not 2023, where you have to be alone. He's a present Emmanuel God. And it means that no matter what moment, what the situation, what the circumstance that's beyond your control or you think in your control, he can be trusted. That he is trustworthy in his goodness to you and to me.
Christmas is the celebration of Jesus coming to be with us. During this Christmas season, we are looking at God's word to us in John 1 that highlights God's greatest gift to us in sending Jesus to be the word in flesh. Jesus came as a light in the darkness and as hope in the hopelessness. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to bring truth and hope to your life. No matter what your life or faith journey may look like this Christmas, God wants you to personally experience His love, His joy, and His peace. We would love to pray for and encourage you as you seek to know Jesus and live in relationship with Him. You can get the conversation started today by simply texting your first name to 601 397-6111 by sending us a direct message or through our website. Our ministry team would love to pray for you and walk with you in your faith this Christmas. As we close out our time today and prepare to scatter as the church, let's speak our declaration together. We believe the great exchange took place when Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us so we could know God. We exist to see people exchange their old life for new life in Christ and live out their purpose. Christ's love compels us to exchange ideas for truth. God's word is our standard. Selfishness for serving, we will serve others. Pleasing for reaching, we will share our faith. Keeping for dispersing, we will make disciples. Forgetting for celebrating, we will praise God. We are the church.